in your Bibles, please, to the gospel according to Luke. You're going to see a question in here. And I just talked about the evangelism that we do. You're going to see that Jesus does what you are, really need to learn to do if you're going to evangelize. Because today, in the world of evangelism, you are going to constantly run into objections. Okay? You know that. That's always been the case for, since the beginning of time, but far more now than before. And the policy before in evangelism was simple. There was a whole chapter written on this policy. When confronted with an objection, you need to overcome it very quickly and get back on to the presentation. You can't do that anymore. <clears throat> or your presentation falls on deaf ears. Nobody wants to listen to you. <clears throat> you have to deal with the objections. You have to know what they, there, there aren't a thousand of them. There aren't a hundred of them. There's a half a dozen. That everyone that I've ever encountered, I encounter a lot of people every week. And you have to know how to deal with those questions. You're going to see Jesus deal with a question, but the question isn't the issue. So listen to me very carefully. When you get a question that becomes an objection to your presentation of Jesus in the gospel, the question is never the issue. I, I've, I've never found it to be the issue. Somebody says, I can't believe there's a good God with all this bad in the world. Okay. Why? And then you'll get to the heart of the matter. What happened to them? What hurt them way back when? Abandonment, abuse, whatever it is. And then you'll be able to begin a dialogue at a heart level. And then you'll have an opportunity to keep that dialogue going. In, in the old days, evangelism was a monologue. I presented the gospel and I said, are you ready to receive? Okay? Not anymore. It's a dialogue. You have to be able to communicate with people. And you have to be willing to listen to them and enter in at a heart level. That's what I'm writing my dissertation on. But you're going to see it right here in this passage. It's going to jump right off of the screen, right out of your book, right into your lap. And you're going to see what Jesus does. And how he deals with an objection question, but he gets to the heart of the matter. You ready? This is really, really cool. We're going to call this resurrection rejection. So that will give you a hint that there's something in addition to what we're going to read in this passage. The resurrection rejection. Remember, he's been hammered by the Pharisees, the Herodians, and now the Sadducees. They're asking him questions that they don't believe he can answer. The Pharisee says, "Who? by what authority? The Herodians said, is it legal to pay taxes to Caesar? And now these guys. Whose wife? In the resurrection. None of those questions were the issue. None of them. So let's take a look at this one today. You ready? Hear now the word of God. Luke 20, 27 to 40. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second, then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. 
But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Let's pray together. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone by divine design. Which means you have something specific to speak to each heart. Through your word that is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Speak now. As a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort for those in storm winds, rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. Father, we'd ask for ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Okay, we're going to look at three headings, three headings under the resurrection rejection. The first is going to be the Sadducees. You don't hear much about them in Jesus' ministry. You don't read about them. They're not in this Galilean ministry. They're not chasing them around in Judea. They're located at the temple. And remember, he's come into town, triumphal entry, cleansed the temple. Now these questions. <clears throat> then we're going to look at the Savior. Then we're going to look at you. Going to make it personal. Going to look at the saints. Something we need to be clear from the very beginning, which will make a difference in how you approach evangelism, how you speak to anyone. You agree with me that everyone is made in the image of God? Yes. Nod your heads. Remember, you're live streamed. If you if you don't nod your heads, they'll think you're asleep, and the camera will focus right in on you. Made in the image of God, everyone. And if the Bible says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. That means every single person knows that they were made and created for eternity, yes? So no matter how angry or opposed the atheist, agnostic, whatever you want to call them, they know deep down somewhere, way down, no matter how hard they suppress, they know that this isn't all there is. Some want this to be all there is. There's a reason for the denial, and if you read some of the great quotes of some of the great atheists, you'll read why. We didn't want to change the way we lived. But I want to give you just a little background, very, very brief background, that in all ages, for all peoples, the belief of an afterlife exists. In the Egyptian Book of the Dead, Pharaoh... Cheops was buried 5,000 years ago. And archaeologists uncovered the tomb, opened it up. What did they find with Pharaoh Cheops? The solar boat. You know what the solar boat indicated? It's what he was going to sail through 
the heavens in the afterlife. So they buried him with a solar 5,000 years ago. The ancient Greek religion. You've seen movies. In the ancient world, you've seen the dead. And they'll put coins on the eyes. You've seen that? They'll put a coin in the mouth. Do you know why? Got to pay your fare. Got to pay to the boatman. So here's the belief. <clears throat> There's a deity of the underworld called Charon. And, and he's the ferryman. He's the boatman. And if when you die, if you're buried properly, you will be buried with either the coins on your eyes or under your tongue. And when he sees that, then he will take you into his boat and he will ferry you across from the land of the dead to the underworld. Land of the living in the underworld. With your coins. If there are no coins, you will wander the shoreline, it was said, for a hundred years. It's written in ancient Greek classics. Dante's Inferno. He writes of the river Acheron, which forms the border of hell. Aristophanes writes about it in The Frogs. American Indians, you know what they often do? They would bury warriors with their bows and arrows and sometimes even with their ponies. So they would be prepared when they landed in the happy hunting grounds. Norsemen buried with their dead horse in the armor to carry on life in the world to come. And in Greenland, dead native children buried with a dog to guide them through the cold wasteland to come. In all ages and in all times, the afterlife life was absolutely assumed. Now I want to give you a quote from someone who was an intellectual, just so you don't think it's primitive cultures. An intellectual, by all accounts, not a believer, not a Christian, but an intellectual. You're familiar with his name? <clears throat> On his tombstone at Christ's Church in Philadelphia. You can see it. It's right there. This is what's etched on his stone. The body of Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, lies here food for worms. Its content torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, but the work shall not be lost. For it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by the author. Every heart knows this is not all there is. Let's take a look at the Sadducees. You ready? We're going to head out into some deep water. Let our nets down for a catch. And I apologize for my voice. I haven't been feeling well, so just... Pardon that for me today. <clears throat> Verse 27. These guys would be what we would call today in, in, in our modern cultural context. They would be poster children for the modern rationalist. And you, you know what a rationalist, you, 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 you believe in only what you can see and feel and touch and, and rationalize in your, in your own mind. Okay. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. <clears throat> I want you to look at that one more time up on the screen. <clears throat> I want to walk through this. Somebody once said that. You see what, see what they believe? Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Someone once said, that's why they are called sad, you see. <clears throat> and I agree with that. Because if there is no resurrection... I'm not sure what we're doing here right now. 
We're just wasting time. Because if there's no resurrection, how should you live? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Doesn't matter how you live. You live any way you want. And that's the primary reason if you read great quotes from great atheists, you will read that. They're not shy about saying why. If we believed what you believe, we'd have to change the way we live. We have no interest in that. So we're just going to believe there's nothing there. All right, let's take a look at what they, what, what they believe. Because this, this is a religious group. This doesn't make sense. Let's take a look at why. They accepted only the Pentateuch as inspired. Okay, that's another word for the Torah. And that's another word for the first five books of the Bible. So we call it, there's a term, it's called the primacy of the Pentateuch. So what does that mean? We know they didn't have just that. That doesn't make sense. They had the law, they had the writings, they had the prophets. They had all of the scrolls. But what, what did it mean to them? The first five books of the Bible were inspired. Everything else was commentary on the first five books. So if it's not in the first five books, it doesn't exist. Because you know resurrection is everywhere. You know it's there. We're going to look at one passage. We're going to name a few others. But they all accepted only the Pentateuch as inspired. Okay? So stay with that. Then they denied the existence of miracles and angels. Notice how Jesus responds to them later. He brings up angels. He's a master at handling objections. Okay? <clears throat> Let's take a look in the Old Testament just very briefly of, of resurrection. Because this doesn't make any sense. Why they wouldn't believe in the resurrection if they had the, the scriptures. We know it's in Job. We know it's in the Psalms. Psalm 16, 49 and 139. In particular, we know it's in Isaiah and Hosea. But it's deeper than that. We know there are other kinds of resurrection. Don't you? Remember Ezekiel's vision of dry bones? Do you know what that was? That was a coming to life. Of what? The return of the exiles. From their Babylonian ca captivity. What did that picture? They were dead. They were captive. And now they were alive. The dead bones represented what? Resurrection. Barren, dead wombs in the Old Testament. Remember them? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had to deal with that. God brings life into a dead womb. What's that a picture of? Resurrection. <clears throat> One of the classics. Genesis 22. Abraham taking Isaac to be sacrificed. A three-day march to Mount Moriah where God provides the sacrifice. He was dead for those three days. A picture of what? Resurrection. Here's the classic text in the Old Testament which really spells it out, makes it real clear and simple. Daniel 12, 2. Take a look. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life Others to everlasting contempt. You see that? <clears throat> that makes it clear that there's two options. Yes? That's what it says. That's the word of God. God's word says some are going to go to a good place and some are going to go to a bad place. Forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what it says. They knew it said all that. But they didn't accept any of that because none of that was in the Pentateuch. Torah. And they didn't hold to the oral Torah. That didn't help them. They were literalists. Now, 
they seem liberal, right? They weren't. They were very conservative. But liberal in the understanding of today what we would call a liberal. A liberal who today would, would, would say what? They're liberal theologians. There's no resurrection. There's no angel. There's no supernatural, right? That, that's, that's liberal. Now, that's, that's not what we're, They were very strict. They were very serious about what they believed. But if it wasn't in the first five books, it didn't exist. Okay? Okay, stay with me now. Let's keep rolling on this. Acts 23, 6 to 8. We're going to take a look at this, the two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, kind of going at it. Paul's standing before the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is made up primarily of Sadducees. Why? These are the guys that have all the power. They're not impressive by population. It's a small number. They're impressive by prosperity, power, and position, and prestige. These are the guys. They're in charge. They're, 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 they're siding with Rome, and why would they not? They don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe in rewards and punishments. So do what? Live your best life now. Get all you can today. And they did, and they pilfered their own people by doing it. What finally turned them, they didn't care about Jesus. He didn't mean anything to them. What finally tipped them over, and I don't think they even cared if the Romans were going to kill him. What finally tipped him over when he came and cleansed the temple. Why? Took away their business. Messed up their profits. And they said, we can't have any of this. So now they come after him with a question. So let's take a look at Paul. I'm a Pharisee, Paul says, <clears throat> on trial because of my hope in the resurrection. Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Sadducees did not. See the difference? Pharisees said there's a resurrection. Sadducees. And they argued all the time. All the time. A dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees as it always did. Okay? Sadducees say there is no resurrection, angels or spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. They would argue about all sorts of things, but this one in, in, in particular. And you have to get a background. <clears throat> why does this question come up? What did the Pharisees believe about resurrection? That's why you, you can't get everything out of Scripture. You've got to go to the context. They believe the resurrected life was the same as this life, just an extension. So same, same life, same, same body, same relationships. Their, one of their biggest arguments was, how do we show up in the resurrection? And they started to discuss, perhaps we show up naked. And they all were kind of freaked out by that and said, no, that, no that's not good. I don't want to see you like that. You don't want to see me like that. That's not good. So they said, no, we've got to show up some other way. In clothes. In the clothes that we have. The clothes we're buried in. So these were the discussions that they had time and time again. But they were going to show up. In the same exact relationships that they left this life in. <clears throat> you tracking? Married to whoever they're married to. to the whole, okay. <clears throat> Teacher. A sign of respect, but not from them. Moses wrote, you know what that means? That's one of the first, we're in the first five books. If a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. What is that all about? Let's go to Deuteronomy. Luke is writing this argument that's taking place, this questioning, and it's coming from Scripture. So let's go to it. Remember how we say it's one word from one God to one world? Okay, so go to Deuteronomy 25.5. This is where you find this. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her 
and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. <clears throat> There's a term for that. It's called leverite marriage. From the Latin word lever for brother, brother-in-law, husband's brother. So God makes this provision in Scripture that says if a man and woman are married, the man dies, there's no offspring. You can't just go run off and marry anyone you want. You've got to go to the next brother. Why? Why does that matter to God? He's, he's saving his people. He's saving the name of his people. He, he, when, when, when a family gets wiped out, that, that's a bad thing. That's why it was so important to have a son. So he puts a provision in for the, for the, for the extension of his people. Remember, 12 tribes received land based on their, their tribes, their population, their people. It mattered. So he says, brother dies, you, you take on the responsibility. You have to take her as your wife, get her a child. You're going to name him after the first husband. And the name of the family will continue to go on. Thereby you will fulfill my law and what's known as Leverite marriage. Okay? Are we, we good on that? <clears throat> it, it happened in the Old Testament. You may not be familiar. You may be. But in Genesis 38, something bad happens to Onan. He gets brought into this plan of God's. And he's supposed to fulfill the duty. His brother had died. And he refuses to do so. He, he refuses, and I won't give you any more of the details for some of the younger folk. Or you can read it in 38. And God said, oh, I got it. Done. Killed him. Just took him out. For not fulfilling the Leverite marriage law. The one that you're familiar with and you know, but you maybe haven't connected it, Ruth and Elimelech. Remember that? Ruth marries Elimelech, he dies. No children. Naomi and Ruth go back home to the commonwealth of Israel. Who, who's a family member, the redeemer kinsman? Boaz. Boaz takes Ruth for his wife. Out of Boaz and Ruth comes Obed. From Obed, we get Jesse. From Jesse, we get David. From David, we get Jesus. God's plan is always better than ours. He just kind of knows what he's doing. So if you're contemplating something and you kind of believe you know God's plan, but you think yours is better, be careful with that. Because some of it just doesn't seem to make sense, but it it works. So that's the overview. Let me give you the passage in just bullet points because it's too much to unpack. We'd, we'd be here too long. This could have taken a few weeks, the whole sermon, but we'll just want to be real brief. So three bullet points. Ready? What does the passage tell us? And it's important for you to see this. There are seven brothers who marry her and die. Now, what I'm going to say to you next is, is not scriptural. But it's a pastor's heart that's speaking to you. And maybe it's because I wasn't feeling well in the middle part of the week and I was spending a, an extra amount of time working on this. But, 
But I kept reading through this over and over and over again. Seven brothers marry her and die. I just couldn't get this thought out of my mind. If I'm brother number five, I'm heading out of town. I'm sorry, God. I buried four of my brothers and I just can't. I'm sorry. If I'm six, I'm gone for sure. Seven, you never find me. Poppy, I'm out. Who does this? Obedient to, to the Lord. But we're not done. So I know that's not a good thought, but I'm, I'm going to be honest. You two, you'd have left it two or three. Don't tell me, you did first two, you had, oh, no, no, no. No, I'm brother three. You're four, you'd have, I waited till maybe five. The woman finally died. Praise God. We have no idea how many lives that saved. The widowmaker is dead. Thank you, Jesus. I was overjoyed. I know that sounds bad, but I thought maybe I was brother eight, and she died in between, and I was saved. I don't know. She's dead. Whose wife at the resurrection? Uh, What are they really after? What are they asking? Luke 20, 33. Now then, at the resurrection. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You don't believe in the resurrection. Stop. So you're doing something here. You're messing with me. Don't you know who I am? I just, I just, I just took care of your little Pharisees and your little Herodians. And I'm going to do the same to you. Don't you get this? But go ahead, finish. Now then, at the resurrection, whose who's wife? God is a God of what? Perfect order. That's a picture of what? Utter chaos. Imagine showing up as one of the brothers and you get to heaven. Whose who's wife? Who gets her? Not that any of them might have wanted her. I don't know. But, but who gets her? So they painted a... Do you see what they've done? They painted this most absurd, well, there's an argument for it. There's an argument called the reduction, reductio ad absurdum. And, and, and they're reducing this to the, to the worst possible level of just ridiculousness. They've reduced the resurrection to the most ridiculous kind of format. You say there's a resurrection. Pharisees say, yes, there is. Same life. We get to the other side. Who's going to sort that out? Tell me, Jesus. So they got him. They got him. There's no way he's going to get out of this. Well, let's see. Number two, the Savior. Got to go to Mark. Sometimes you have to go to another gospel account to get the full picture. So we're going to go to Mark because this isn't in Luke. But it's the parallel account. So we'll take it from Mark. Ready? Mark 12, 24. Jesus replied, are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Oh my. First of all, how many times have I said this to you over and over and over again? Jesus generally answers a question with a... Okay. So he asks, what, why? He, he, that's the whole point. He knows their question isn't the real issue. That's why I never answer a question when I'm evangelizing. I ask another question so that we can get deeper and eventually get to the heart. And then once you get to the heart, you can have what? You can have a dialogue. 
The days of the monologue are gone. You can't just go present your, your, your gospel. You can't do that. Nobody has any interest in that. You can do it. But it doesn't track. You've got to reach the heart. She says, do you, do you understand the indictment? The, the, this is the three religious sects. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. Right, you got the Herodians thrown in and the Zealots, but forget all that. They know the scriptures. They memorize the scriptures. They know all of the scriptures. So now he says, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Let's say that you don't know the scriptures. You, you know what you've just said? You, you, you believe you have presented a problem that God couldn't solve. You don't even know the power of God. You think that problem would be too hard for God to solve? You guys are silly. You, you, you. Luke 20, 34 to 36. Okay? He's going to refute their argument, but he's not going to do it in a way that you would think he would. Well, let's look at what he says in just bullet points. This age is not the same as that age, so just stop. This age, what you're living right now is not the same as that age. You got that? Well, how is it different? I'm only going to show you a few things in here that it tells us that it's different. But much of it we don't know. It's called a mystery. Right? Secret things belong to God. Revealed things belong to us. I don't know exactly what the new heavens and the new earth is going to look like. But we know enough to get a general understanding. And in this passage, Jesus is going to make a few things clear. Let's look. Number one. No marriage. <clears throat> Earthly. You won't be married to each other. It doesn't matter how many spouses you had. You say, well, man. Do you know that there are some cases, many spouses, Elizabeth Taylor and Mickey Rooney, they were married eight times. Who's, how, how would you sort that mess out? And that would be chaos. But there's no marriage. You're, you're married. Who are you married to? Say Jesus. You're, you're on your you're live stream. You can say it. Say Jesus. You're married to Jesus. You're not married to each other. So there's no marriage that we know. So this, this age is not the same as that age. I just did a wedding last week. They're, they're still gone. They'll be back, I'm sure, next week. Or I'm sure they're watching somewhere, Chris and Chelsea. And they're still married. One week later, they're still married. You know, they sent me some more pictures. But, yeah, give a little bit of hand of praise for Chris and Chelsea. But part of the, the training, the, the nine months of training, going through the nine pillars of our premarital program, this is a momentary marriage. You're not married forever and ever, world without end. And your marriage here is supposed to be a picture of what? Your marriage there. See, that now changes everything. That ups the ante. It raises the bar. See, you don't get to compare your marriage to other marriages here. No, 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 no. No, it's supposed to look like the marriage there. You're putting on the gospel through your married life here now. And I know none of us do a really good job of that. Some do much better than others. But that's the picture. We're married to Jesus. And our marriages here are supposed to re represent that. I'll never forget this question being asked of me a long time ago. And I had a really bad answer to it. How attractive do you make your God? 
and I didn't make him very attractive. And it changed everything about the way I looked at myself. I thought I was something I was not. And it took a lot of work and it took a lot of mentoring and counseling to realize that that's my job. And it's biblical. Titus 2.10, how attractive do you make God? I was showing my kids that my God was, was angry and punitive in his punishments. And showing my wife that. So the goal is to point your marriage in the direction of that marriage. With the love of Christ. The compassion. The mercy and the grace. No marriage. No death. Death is gone. That we're going to be like angels. Now, now why does he bring that in? Because they don't believe in angels. So he's now starting his attack. His counter, he's coming after them. What do you mean like angels? We don't, we don't believe in the resurrection and we don't believe in angels. We don't believe in miracles. So now he's starting, you see the, he's laying it. He's laying the foundation. He's coming at him. He's coming right at the heart. And like angels, I mean not, rela not, not, not related to wings, wings and wing, wing, wing. But related to marriage and mortality. They're not married and they don't die. There's, there's, there's no reason to, to have children because there's no death. There's no repopulation. So no marriage, no death. We're like angels and we are God's children. Okay? Got all that? Now we'll go to verse 37. Here it is, sports fans. He's now going to lower the boom. He's not going to go to Isaiah, Hosea, Psalms. He's not going to go to any other place other than what they have already made clear. This is all we believe. Yet it's everywhere in the scriptures, but this is all we believe. First five books. So now watch what he does. Ready? I tell you, this is worth the price of admission. But in the account of the bush, stop. Who speaks like that? Why does Jesus say that? Well, there's no, there's no chapters and there's no verses in, in, in the scriptures at this time. So he's got to take them back to a frame of reference that they will understand. He can't say, well, listen, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 3, 6, will you? So he says, I'll paraphrase. You remember that thing way back when? With that burning bush that would not burn up? And there was some voice that was coming out of that. Do you remember that bush? Now, you remember that guy that you say it is the only guy you believe in, right? Moses. All right. Let's, let's, let's go there. In the bush, Moses showed that the dead rise. What? For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, quickly, go right to Exodus 3.6. This is what God says from the bush. Who do I tell him sent me? Tell him I am that I am. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What did he just say? Well, let's take a look at what he said. He said, I am. They are. Not I was. They were. I'm the God of the living, not the dead. 
They're not dead. They're right here with me. I get no glory from dead men. So he takes them back to the place where they say resurrection doesn't exist. And he says, have you not read? Don't you understand what was being said by God to Moses? How did you miss this? Perhaps you were so focused on living your best life now. So caught up in getting as much as you could today. That you've made no provision for tomorrow. And tomorrow's coming. And when it comes, you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. To one place or the other. He has now shut them down. Go to the, let's go to you. Let's go to the saints. Make it personal. And remember, these are, these are rationalists. So the Sadducees, just like people today, just like the skeptical unbelievers that I speak to, the Sadducees relied on reason. You understand? Jesus relied on revelation. Don't rely on reason. Don't do it. Rely on the revelation of God. God can speak to any heart at any time, and in his way. Don't be afraid to speak the truth. And let God supply the increase. Jesus never shrunk back, but he did it in a way that met every audience differently, but in their place of understanding. They, 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 wouldn't, have, they, they wouldn't have received it coming from Hosea. Or I'd say, that's just commentary on the first five books. So he goes right to Moses. You know Moses, don't you? Yeah. So now, let's go to you. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him all are alive. Pause, circle that word all. You know what that means? Every human heart that has ever, ever, ever beat. All are alive to him. And all will go to one or another place. Now here's the, here's, the, here's the best line, I think, in the whole thing. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. So what did they realize? We can't get him in words. We'll get him with nails. We'll go to the Romans and say, Get rid of this guy. We had enough. He's messing with everything. John 14, 19. This is you. Ready? Because I live, you also will live. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If you want to look in the, we didn't put it up on the screen, but in case you want to look at it, I have a Bible study that's called Resurrection of Reality, but what we've done is we've shrunk it down into the good news. So the Good News newspaper, but you can take a hard copy. They're here in the church, but you can also get it online. You, you, you can receive it online. I put those four parts of the resurrection over four months. So January, we have the first part. February, we'll have the second. March, we'll have the third. And in April, we'll have the fourth. And I base it on four E's. Four E's that, that can give you 
the, the greatest amount of evidence for the proof of the resurrection, yet nobody was there to see it, right? Right? So no one was there. But what is the proof? What is the evidence? And we use four E's. That Jesus existed, that he was executed, that the tomb was empty, and that there are eyewitness accounts. All of that, all of that, I get from outside of the Bible. I then can go into the Bible. But all of that comes from outside of Scripture. That gets the attention of unbelievers. When you don't say, well, the Bible says... As soon as you say the Bible says, what do they say? I don't care what your Bible says. The Bible doesn't speak to me. Okay, so will you listen to me if I don't go into the Bible first? Well, how are you going to do that? Well, let me show you. So you look at the article. It, he existed. Roman historians, Greek historians, Christian historians, all kinds of... All wrote Jesus was a real man. So that refutes the argument Jesus didn't exist. Next month, he was executed. All of that outside the Bible. Okay? So, is the resurrection true? It, it's, there's enough evidence that... You have to leap at the end. So you either leap that you believe it or you don't. You have to decide. Only one that saw it was Jesus. But there's enough evidence to convince a reasonable, rational, cogent individual that there's enough evidence to believe it's true. Luke 20, 35. I have to just hit this because there are too many people in the church who believe they work their way into God's righteousness. They're working their way into heaven. How many people have you ever, if you share the gospel, and I see some of you, and I know that there are a number of you that share it a lot. You talk to somebody and say, okay, I want to talk to you about Jesus, and, and, and what, do you, what do you believe about eternal life, and and, and, and how you get to heaven, and say, well, I'm, I'm, I, I'm trying to be a good person, right? What does that mean? Worthy. Those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead. Okay, on the surface, that looks like Jesus is saying you have to be doing something. How are you worthy? You're worthy by doing something. So you have worth. You have, you have worth. You're, that's not what he did. You know what he did? He just attacked them. But he, he, didn't, he didn't attack like I do, so I do it in a bad way. Really bad way. I open my mouth and go, why did you say that? He does it in such a wonderful, beautiful way. He says, those who are considered worthy. But he's essentially saying, you're not worthy. Why? Because of your unbelief. Well, you don't believe in the resurrection. So you can't be worthy. But those who are considered worthy, those who believe in the resurrection, and they believe it's me, then they'll take part in that. Do you see the attack? Beautiful, subtle attack. But it, it, its worthiness has nothing to do with what? It, 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 it's, it's all about belief. And it has nothing to do with, with behavior. So you need to keep that in mind. Let's go to Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Remember the Philippian jailer? Paul, Silas. You're saved through belief. Not behavior. Is that crystal clear? Is that, that verse has been twisted through the ages. For those who want to have a works righteousness, for those who want to be legalistic about their faith and contribute something to it. Yes, I believe in God's grace, but I also believe I've got to do this. No, no, no. It's either grace or it's not. It's not grace and works. It's not grace and a little bit of something else. It's either all Jesus or it's none of Jesus. You don't get the option of robbing him of any of his glory. And that's what you're doing when you take part in your salvation. 
And finally, John eleven twenty five twenty six. 25, 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This was Martha Mary. Lazarus has died. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What did Jesus do? He, 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 he turned the whole thing upside down on them. He shifted from the mystery of marriage to the majesty of the resurrection. It had nothing to do with marriage. How silly the Sadducees were. And he made it clear what it was all about. The majesty of the res resurrection. Final verse. And then we'll present. They asked him. Remember John 6. What must we do? To do the works. God, requ God requires something. What do we do? Jesus answered. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. So with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, guess who says come? The one he has sent. Christ. The life, the resurrection. He came and did what he said he would do, and he did it for you. Will you come to Christ by grace through faith? If you've never surrendered to Christ, we're going to pray in just a moment. You're not saved by a prayer. But you're saved by a heart that has been changed, having been given the gift of repentance and faith. The Holy Spirit stirs your heart unto zeal for Christ, and you come to Christ by faith, trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Nothing that you do contributes to any part of your salvation. Yes, do you do good things after? Of course, it's proof that you're His. It's not the provision for being His, but it demonstrates whose you are. If you've never prayed, if you're on the internet watching right now, let's pray together. Pray with me. Father, if there's anyone right now who has never surrendered control to Christ, and we always know there are some, we ask that you give the gift of repentance and faith. We ask that you raise them from death to life. <clears throat> Father, it's not a special prayer with special words, but the prayer of the publican, the tax collector, in the temple will certainly suffice. What could be simpler than these words? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. If you're here right now or by way of the internet and you've never prayed to receive Jesus, just repeat these words. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And if you prayed that by grace through faith, I can, with confident assurance, tell you, that you are saved and you are his by grace through faith. Not of works lest any man should boast. It is the work of God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise Jesus for that. And for the rest of you, many who have been walking for even longer than a century. Continue trusting in Christ. Walk by faith not by sight knowing that he who began a good work will one day bring it to completion and all these things we thank him for in Christ's name, amen would you all stand with us